Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Happy Fourth of July weekend, everyone. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful for the freedom that we have in this country. I never want to take that for granted, and I know you don't want to either. So thank you to all the servicemen and women who protect those freedoms for us. We are very, very grateful this weekend for you. We're also grateful you're here because we're kicking off a brand new series titled The Four Wills of God. Did you know there are only four verses in the entire Bible that specifically say this is God's will? Only four. Which leads to the next question, what are the four wills of God? I'm not going to tell you. You got to come all four weeks because today I'm going to unpack just one. But the reason it's so important for you to come all four weeks is because I believe every person here or watching online is facing a decision now or in the future that will greatly impact your life. Decisions like, what college should I attend? Is this the person that I should marry? Should we own or rent? Should we have one or two kids? Should I eat one or two donuts? Very similar questions. What is God's will for my life? It's always two donuts, you know that, but these are questions that we ask ourselves. And most of us wanna make decisions that align with God's will or desired direction for our lives. But here's the key to this entire series. See, before we ask, what is God's will for my life? This job or that job, say this or say that, move there or stay here. The better question to start with is, what is God's will? Because the answer to what is God's will for my life is found after we answer what is God's will. And this answer is contained in these four verses that specifically say this is God's will. Let me explain by talking about golf. I love golf. I used to be a golfer, and then I had kids. And now I'm someone who plays golf once in a while. You know the difference? It's a big difference. I'm just not that good anymore. Although there are times when I feel like I've still got it. So a couple weeks ago, I was playing in a scramble golf tournament with my dad, who's 72, another guy who's pushing 70, and my middle-aged older brother, who frankly plays a lot less than I do. Now, I'm 35, by the way, so I still consider myself young. I refuse to call myself middle-aged. Okay, I think it's all downhill after 40. That's when you start saying it's middle-aged, but <laughs> careful, careful, John. Don't offend people right out of the gate. Now, I mentioned ages because they all play what's referred to as old man golf. Do you know what old man or old person golf is? It's a style of golf that old people play when they can't swing as hard anymore. So they take these nice, easy, old person swings just to dink it out into the fairway, but they're always in the fairway. But again, I refuse to play this way. I'm 35, you know, I'm young, I'm sort of fit, I'm healthy. I feel like I can, I can hit the ball a mile. So the first drive of the day, uh, I stood up there and just smashed it down the middle into the fairway, 250 yards. Second shot, shoosh, picked it clean off the fairway, dropped it right next to the pin. I mean, who needs these old guys? I, I birdied this hole all by myself. I'm feeling good. I've got that swagger, you know? <laughs> well, second hole, second drive, sliced it way right into the rough. Third hole, third drive, hooked it way left. Fourth drive, sliced it again into the rough. You get the point. The rest of the round, balls went left, right, up, down, found every tree, patch of rough, and hazard possible. I didn't find the fairway the rest of the round. Now, to be fair, hold on. 
to be fair, every time I hit the ball, my forearm started to hurt. I think I got tennis elbow or something. <laughs> Plus my back had started to tighten up. Plus I have these old hand-me-down clubs that I've had for like 10 years. Pastor Bob makes fun of them every time he sees them. So the technology's outdated. Plus the group in front of us was taking forever. I couldn't find a groove. Now the, the guys I was playing with, they seemed to be finding fairways just fine. But they clearly weren't dealing with the same excuse problems, excuse me, problems that I was dealing with. Of course, then it hit me. I mean, if the goal in golf is to do whatever it takes to find the fairway, maybe it's time to admit that I'm getting old. Is that true? Maybe it's time to admit. Now, what does golf have to do with God's will? See, God wants every single person to find the fairway of his will, to be in the center of his will. And he says, if you follow me and obey me in these four areas, you will find the fairway. And then there's a triggering effect. Because when you follow God in these four wills that he lays out for us, you're in the fairway. And then that next shot, that next step, that next decision in life is easier to navigate. Suddenly we experience God's individual and unique direction for our lives once we're in the fairway. And we do that by obeying God's four wills that he lays out for us. So with that being said, let's look at the first and most important universal will of God that God wants for all people for all time. To set the scene in John chapter six, Jesus has just fed over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. People were astonished at this miracle, so they came back looking for more the next day, and he says, you only want to be with me because I fed you. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. And people are like, yeah, 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 eternal life. <laughs> Big deal. We want some more miracles. We want some more free food. And so Jesus bottom lines it. He says, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent, for it is, and here it is, my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. In other words, to find the fairway, it starts by obeying the first and most important universal will of God, which is this, every person should believe in Jesus and receive eternal life. That's what God wants for all people for all time. You know, um, as I was prepping this message, I, I really started to think about what the word believe means. Uh, for example, I wondered, do I really believe in the Minnesota Twins? I got to tell you, I'm from the Seattle area originally, so I'm still loyal to the Seattle Mariners. But the Minnesota Twins are truly my second favorite team. And that's really terrible for me because the Mariners are an even more disappointing sports franchise than the Minnesota Twins. And yes, I've been reminded many times by people from Minnesota, many, many times that they won the World Series in 1987 and 1991. I mean, it was 30 years ago, but I'm really happy for you, okay? <laughs> but this year, they're pretty good. I mean, at this point, they got one of the best records in baseball. They got the most home runs. So again, do I believe in the Minnesota Twins? I mean, I kind of do. But let me ask you, how would you know that I believe in the Minnesota Twins? I mean, I can stand up here and tell you I believe in them. 
I can wear a Minnesota Twins hat every once in a while, which I do. I can watch Bert and Dick on FSN. But has this belief in the Twins changed much about my life? Not really. I mean, I suppose if I really believed in them, I would memorize their roster. I can only name like five players. Maybe I'd memorize their stats. I would plan my days around their games. I would attend or watch every single game, and I would never jump ship win or lose, but I'm telling you, I'm hopping off that ship as soon as they go down, okay? I'm as fair weather as it gets. I'm just being honest. So with that being said, how much do I really believe in the Minnesota Twins? With that in mind, when it comes to our belief in Jesus, most of us would say we have some sort of belief in Jesus. And if you're here and you've got no belief in who Jesus says he is, let me just say, I'm so glad you're here. You're not the only person, and this is a great place to explore what it means to put your faith in Jesus. So we're so glad you're here. In many ways, we created this church just for you. But most of us, I would assume, would say we have belief in Jesus. Maybe you've attended church your entire life, or maybe you put your faith in him when you were six just a couple of years ago, or maybe just last month. But let me ask you, how would I know that you believe in Jesus? And maybe a better question is, 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 how much has this belief in Jesus impacted your life? Maybe it's been a while since you've thought about it. Or if you're being honest with yourself, maybe this belief hasn't impacted your life much at all. But see, Scripture is clear. Belief in Jesus should influence every aspect of our life and every decision that we make. So it's the time we have left. I want to show you three signs this belief in Jesus is impacting your life and how this belief should influence every decision that we face. And the first is we'll live with an eternal perspective because when we believe in Jesus, who he says he is and, and what he's done for us, we live with this understanding that earth is not our final home. That's why Jesus says, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Let me ask, what do you spend your energy on? I mean, if you're like me, all kinds of things, right? Yard work, kids' activities, doing the chores, maybe grocery shopping, kids' activities, going to your job, spending time with family and friends, probably some more kids' activities. Yes, I know, I've repeated that three times. Not, not bad things, but the, Jesus says, spend your energy seeking eternal life. Now, what does that mean? Well, first, I think it means we believe that God loved us so much that he sacrificed his only son, Jesus, for us. It means we believe Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life, but was put to death for our sins on a cross. Three days later, he overcame that death and resurrected from the grave. And now because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when we put our belief in him, our eternal lives are changed forever. Think about that. I mean, maybe you've heard that a thousand times, or maybe that's the first time, but let that truth absorb into your soul. But I wonder, have you thought about how this eternal life affects our life here and now? In other words, what does it mean to live with an eternal perspective? Well, one of the best examples of this came while I was reading a great book called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way by Lisa Turkhurst. Uh, Lisa's a well-known author and speaker who's probably best known for running Proverbs 31 Ministries, a ministry that reaches millions of people, mostly women, 
around the world. Well, in the book, she shares how her life unraveled when she discovered that her husband was having an affair. And while they were doing the really difficult work of trying to repair their marriage, she suddenly found herself in the ER with a devastatingly painful and life-threatening illness. Doctors eventually discovered the source of her pain, but had to remove most of her colon. Just a short time later, another doctor sat in front of her and said, Lisa, you have cancer. One heartbreak after another. And she wrote this. She said, there were days I cried so hard that I found myself twisting the corners of the tissues into cones just so I could, just so I could insert them into my nose and my eyeballs just to stop the flow of tears. Have you ever felt that way? That life is one big disappointment after another. Despite how shattered her life felt, she found hope by living with this eternal perspective. An eternity that promises one day God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. That's the hope of eternity. And Lisa wrote, we try to remember all these harsh realities that we face now aren't the end, but rather a temporary middle space. She says, I have honest feelings where I want to throw up my hands in frustration at the unfairness of it all. But if you let your feelings be the only voice, it will rob you of the healing, eternal perspective with which God wants to comfort you. In other words, you don't have to wait to die to experience the hope of an eternal perspective. See, God wants to comfort you right now. So if you find yourself in a season of disappointment, hurt by another person, hopeless because your marriage is in shambles, blindsided by that diagnosis, let God remind you of eternity, where one day he will wipe away every tear, every cancer, every illness, every divorce, every pain, every sorrow. One day he will wipe all of those things away and God is working to make this a reality even now, but sometimes we need to let that eternal perspective carry us through. Just a couple weeks ago, I was in the hospital visiting my friend Roger. Uh, maybe you remember Roger, we did a video together last year who just turned 92. His breathing is labored, his legs are swollen. Fluid surrounds his heart and lungs. His days, according to him, are probably numbered. But after we talked, read scripture, and prayed together, you know what he said to me? He said, John, I'm not afraid to die. I know what awaits me. He said, I've lived a good life. I'm ready to spend eternity with Jesus. That's what it means to have an eternal perspective. But here's the thing. You don't need to be 92 to experience that kind of hope, whether you're 92, 22, or 52. That eternal perspective can be the life raft that carries you through another day of disappointment. And it can influence every single decision that we make this side of eternity. In light of what God is working towards, how can we live with more courage, more joy, more love and compassion? It can influence our lives and it should influence our lives here and now. The good news is, God doesn't wanna leave you stuck in a season of pain and disappointment. 
In fact, God wants to make your life better here and now, which leads to the second reason this belief in Jesus should influence every decision we make. He'll lead us to a greater purpose. I mean, look what Jesus says here. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In other words, Jesus will lead you to good pastures or the fairway grass on a golf course to a greater purpose. Now, what is that purpose? It's a rich, not monetarily, but plentiful and overflowing and and stuffed with goodness and satisfying life. And yet I wonder how many of us would say, you know what? I'm experiencing that rich, full, and satisfying life. I'm experiencing that greater purpose. Now, to be clear, there are times where I don't experience that either. Sometimes life is mundane and not satisfying, painful, not good. But here's what I believe to my absolute core. See, regardless of our circumstances, whatever decision we face, when we follow Jesus, he will lead us to that rich, full and satisfying life, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. But to experience that kind of life, sometimes we gotta dial in his voice a little bit closer. We gotta listen just a little bit closer. See, belief in Jesus puts you on the fairway. But when you're in the fairway, you gotta calculate the yardage and the distance. You gotta examine the hazards. You gotta evaluate the wind. You gotta choose the right club and then take a good swing. I've got a friend right now who's facing a really difficult decision, and that decision involves this job over here and that job over there, and that job will require a significant move for him and his family. It's a big decision. But belief in Jesus has put him in the fairway, and now he's asking the right questions where I am supremely confident that he is gonna choose the right club and take a great swing to follow God's will to the very best of his abilities. So if you're facing a decision, what are those questions that you can ask yourself to take the best swing possible? Start by asking, how's my relationship with God currently? Because maybe you believe in Jesus, but do you spend time with him? You gotta reactivate this side of your life, spend time reading his word and in prayer. It's so important. We learn to listen to his voice. Ask, what does the Bible say? God will never, ever lead you to a decision that falls outside of his word. So turn here before turning to other people. But then what do godly people say I should do? No matter what decision you're facing, whether it's how to grow your business, where to put your money, who to marry, make sure you ask two to three godly, wise people. I can't tell you how many times this step has saved me from making the wrong decision. And then finally, do I sense God's peace? You know, uh, God doesn't often speak to people through an audible voice. Maybe you've heard his, I haven't. But I can tell you when I make a decision that aligns with his will and desired direction for my life, I feel a sense of peace. There's just something in my spirit that feels right. And when I make a decision that falls outside of his will, I feel a total lack of peace. And then once you're done asking yourself these four questions, make a decision. You're in the fairway. Take the most God-honoring shot that you can. And if you're listening closely, Jesus will lead you to that greater purpose. Whichever way you go, 
to a full and satisfying life. Third and final reason, this belief in Jesus should influence every decision we make, and it should be a sign that you've got this belief in Jesus going on in your life, that we gain access to supernatural power. Look what Jesus says here. He says, anyone, any person who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works. Ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. In my Bible, next to these verses, I wrote the word, whoa, next to it. I mean, think about this. Jesus healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He turned water into wine. And here he is saying, you have access to the same supernatural power that I have access to. That should blow our minds. But here's the problem. See, frequently, if you're anything like me, I think we try to do, accomplish, or decide things on our own without accessing the supernatural power that's available to us. A few months ago, my wife Emily, when the weather turned warm, my wife Emily got the itch to start refurbishing furniture again in our garage. Each year after winter, and I mention this almost every year after winter, my wife wants to take over the garage and fill it with furniture or what I call junk that she finds on the side of the road so she can turn it around and refurbish it. Now, for those keeping score at home, and I know some of you are because I had an attender ask me just a couple weeks ago, how's your garage looking this year? <laughs> kind of that sly little look. But uh, for those keeping score at home, two years ago, I gave her a corner of our garage. Last year, a stall. And this year, this is what it looks like. Um, so you can tell who's winning that. But I really, truly, I love giving up my garage for her because my garage, our garage, okay? We own it together. But anyways, uh, she's really good at it. So well, one day, while she was out working on a piece of furniture, just a couple weeks ago, um, our daughter Marley, who's four years old, was out playing in the garage. And as she was watching her mom, she wanted to do what mom was doing. So she asked mom for a piece of sandpaper because Emily often sands these pieces down before repainting them. Without thinking much about it, Emily handed Marley a piece of sandpaper. Well, later that day, I got a text that said, Marley sandpapered the van. And I texted back, I'm thinking, she's four. How bad is it? It can't be that bad. Well, she sent back this picture of our van. <laughs> I'm not sure what a bad sandpapered van looks like, but I'm pretty sure that's it. So when I got home later that day, I bought some stuff called, you know, scratch and swirl remover, premium surface restoration, remove unsightly blemishes. And, and I followed the directions to a T. I spent two hours trying to scrub these scratches out. Let me tell you, it didn't do a single thing. Now, this is about that product, but it didn't help at all. I tried a couple other things. Nothing worked. Well, Alan Nauman, who's one of our pastors on staff, he mentioned this sandpapered scratch job to a volunteer named Bruce. And Bruce said to Alan, hey, tell John to call me and I'll take care of it. A couple days later, I dropped our van off at North Branch Collision. And within a couple of hours, the scratches were completely gone. Why? Because Bruce had the power. He had dual action sanders and air compressor spray paint guns needed to get the scratches out. And those tools were powerful enough to do something that I couldn't do on my own. See, God has powerful tools 
And he's given every believer access to those powerful tools, powerful enough to overcome that addiction, that struggle with anger, that persistent sin, that crippling anxiety. Look at the tools and the power that he's made available to us. It says in in scripture, through him, we have been given access to the Father through the Spirit. This is like Jesus saying, hey, Father, this is John. John, this is my father. Share anything you want with him. That's power. Since we are God's children, we are his heirs. Everything that Jesus has inherited, we also inherit. We are beneficiaries of everything that Jesus has benefited from. And finally, the same spirit of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. And as a believer in Christ, these are far more powerful And then dual action sanders and air compressor spray paint guns. And yet I wonder, are you experiencing that kind of power? And maybe you aren't. I mean, I don't always either. There are many reasons why that is. For one, sometimes life is just a daily, ordinary grind of maintaining household chores, showing up to your job, parenting your kids. Again, we might need power for that, but many of us, you know, we wouldn't call that supernaturally powerful. However, there are also times we allow life to knock us down when God has given us the power to overcome. And if we're ever going to overcome situations that feel insurmountable, you're going to need to learn how to access the supernatural power that God has given you access to. Bruce, who I mentioned earlier, certainly had the the power available to him to take out the scratches in our van. And for that, I'm grateful. But what I didn't mention about Bruce is that he knows a far greater power. You know, in 2010, Bruce's life started to unravel. And there was a night in 2010 that that Bruce decided he was either going to go to a bar, he was going to take his own life or call a pastor. And thankfully, he called a pastor. And that pastor was me. So back in that night in 2010, we spent a couple hours talking at Caribou Coffee in downtown Wiper Lake here in Minnesota. And by the time that conversation was over, Bruce decided that he was going to begin accessing that power through relationship with Jesus Christ. His life didn't change overnight, but daily he spent time learning how to access that power. And his life is radically different. And I want you to see his story. Take a look at this video. I'm Bruce Zock, I'm 55 years old. I was married for 23 years, Uh, divorced now, remarried. I have uh, three boys, self-employed since I was 19 years old, working hard every day. When I was 13 years old, there was a body shop across the street from my dad's house, and uh, my dad says, why don't you go over there and see if you can get a job? And I walked over there, and uh, I just liked working on cars, and I ended up doing it for a trade. I like taking something that's broken or bent and uh, straightening it out, Um, learning how to use the tools to fix it, and getting the self-satisfaction and the results you want, and making it look all pretty again. It's kind of what God has done in my life. Um, He brought me, uh, he brought me back to life, actually, just like I bring the cars back to life. The first 48 years of my life, I was just a broken person. I was uh, drinking and partying and 
doing all the things I shouldn't have did. I was in debt, mortgages, credit cards. Money was a big factor. I was always chasing the dollar, um, 14, 16 hour days, seven days a week, which uh, really put a lot of stress on my marriage and uh, my family life. All these things that just led me to disaster. There was just not God in our life. In 2010, our marriage ended. Um, there were some things happened behind my back that I wasn't aware of, and I was completely destroyed. Um, in the fetal position in the bottom of the shower, I was desperate. It was rock bottom for me. I felt like suicide. I felt like there was no place to go. I felt like there was no one on this earth that could really help me through this. Normally, I would have went to the bar, but this time, for some reason, I picked up the phone, I called church, and I said, I need help. I met with a young John Alexander who uh, sat and talked with me for a couple hours. He really prayed with me and uh, told me that God loved me. And uh, he set me up with another young man from Eagle Brook. And uh, I met with him every Tuesday night at the coffee shop. And uh, he would pray with me and answer questions. And uh, he would give me some advice. He just said, read scripture, you know, build on your relationship with Christ. It took a lot of work from me, but I had a reclining lawn chair, and every day, I mean, every day like clockwork, I sat in that lawn chair and I read scripture. And I told myself I was gonna go to church every Saturday, and I went every Saturday faithfully. That was a big part of my journey. And through this, I met some good Christian friends that invited me to come to their Bible study. And with the strength from those guys and uh, sticking my head into the book and really hearing God's message and learning about him, I learned to have that day-to-day -day relationship that has carried me through now. You know, it's almost like the power that God raised his son from death to save us came into my life and it surrounded me. It just excites me. Um, it just, uh, I just can't live without it. Um, you can't, when he's working in your life, you can't deny it. He's there. There's no magic. He's just there to help you. He's there to hold you up. All of this really made me become a solid man. And with that said, uh, do I still sin and fail? Of course I do. But no matter what I'm going through, the inner joy is still in me. I know how to get through every single day because Christ is there for me. Um, he saved me. So the things that have happened to me since that phone call, um, I'm in a whole different place. God took all the pain I had away. I forgave my ex-wife 100%. If somebody would have told me that that was possible, I would have called him a liar. There's just so many blessings I've had. I've, I've met a wonderful woman that has God in her life. God comes first in my life and first in her life. And uh, that's what makes our relationship work. I pray on my decisions, which is a really big thing. All my relationships are better. My financials are better. I serve at church three weekends out of the month. I try to fill in on the fourth one if I'm able to. Um, it's just a part of my life now. I've just been so blessed. And uh, it's almost when I look back, I don't even know how it really all happened besides me having that relationship with Christ. It's, it's just, I mean, I got a smile sitting here. The, the joy that I feel has just changed me.
Bruce is such a, he's such a great, humble guy. And notice how he accessed the power that was available to him. It was humility. It was simply saying, I don't have it all figured out and I need some help. Called church, he called on Jesus. And that belief in Jesus has changed his life. And since that initial decision to, to hand his life over to Christ, he has shown up consistently. He spends time with God on a regular basis. He shows up at church. It's not complicated. He just makes himself available to God so that he can access the power. It's not magic, like he said, but God's there for him and he's changed his life. You know, but I realize there are some people here who've never made that decision to put your full trust and belief in Jesus. If that's you, I'm gonna pray with you in just a moment. But if that is you and you're ready to begin accessing this power available to you through this relationship with Jesus, it takes that initial decision, that initial handing over of your life, saying to Jesus, I wanna follow you. And so I'm gonna give you a chance to do that. But before I do, can I encourage you to take out your phone and text the word BEGIN to 555-888. Why? So we can send you 12 weeks of emails to guide you in this relationship with Jesus. It starts with this initial decision, but then it requires showing up each and every day, handing over your life, your decisions to Jesus so that he can lead and guide you. And that's what this resource will do for you. I also realize there are other people here. You have this belief in Jesus, but it hasn't impacted your life much lately. And you certainly haven't laid any decisions out before him. And if that's you, maybe today is the day you say, I'm ready for all that you've made available to me, Jesus. Lead me to that eternal perspective, that greater purpose, and help me to access that supernatural power. That's the will of God for every person's life. So remain seated across all of our campuses and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for who you are, for freedom. It's Christ that has set us free and a weekend that we reflect on our, our personal freedoms that we have in our country, we're, we're grateful for that. But God, there's a freedom that is so much greater than even the things we experience on this earth. And that freedom is found in a relationship with your son, Jesus. And I want every person to experience that kind of freedom. Put us in the fairway and then give us the freedom, God, to make decisions that align with your will. So God, for those people who've never made that initial decision to follow you, just pray silently along with me. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that I now know the truth. I've been trying to do it on my own, but now I wanna follow you. I put my full trust and belief in you. God, this is the start of learning how and what it means to follow you in every aspect and decision in my life but I hand my life over to you. And I want what Bruce has. I want what other people have. I wanna begin that relationship with you. Thank you for loving me. And then for everyone else, God, may, may this belief in you impact our lives and influence our decisions as we go about our weeks, God. Help us to see the ways that we can access that power this week as we go about our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being here, everyone. We've got a prayer team down in front at all of our campuses. Otherwise, we'll see you next weekend. Thanks.